Welcome to A Short History of Symmetry, a series of podcasts from the University of Warwick. In this episode, Ian Stewart talks about the Babylonian approach to mathematics, how the Greeks used geometry to solve equations, and the impact of Omar Khayyam. We're very fortunate with the Babylonians because they wrote on clay tablets, and clay tablets survive for thousands and thousands of years. And there are about a million Babylonian clay tablets that have been found so far, of which two or three hundred are about mathematics. But they're a very varied collection of mathematical tablets. They range from school exercises, uh, household accounts, through to really quite esoteric bits of geometry, and algebra, as we would now recognise it, although they didn't write it that way, uh, and astronomy. So we really do have quite a good picture of the Babylonians. And the, the amazing thing about the Babylonians is just how clever they were, how much they knew, and how well organised they were as a society. There's very good tablets about what it's like to be a uh, school student in Babylon, and you have a headmaster, you have a form master, you have a special building you go to called the Tablet House, where you learn to read and to write and to do arithmetic and become a trainee scribe, priest, or whatever. And, you know, it's very similar to, in many ways to even to present-day schools. One of the things they had that really gets them off to a good start mathematically, they have a really good notation for numbers. They have something as good as our present-day decimal notation. So today we use base 10 arithmetic. We have 10 different digit symbols, 0 up to 9. And whole numbers, we just string these together. You know, 352 is 352, and so on. And if we want smaller numbers, fractions, we can use a decimal point, and then we'll say 363.997, or whatever. The Babylonians did this as well but they didn't work with base 10. They used base 60. So they had 60 different symbols for digits. Fortunately, they did these in a very systematic way. They had one symbol. It was a, it was a little wedge-shaped mark in the clay, which meant one. And they would repeat that once, twice, three times, up to nine times for the numbers one to nine. And then they had a new symbol, which was a different shape wedge for 10, and they could combine these symbols for 10s and 1s. And they combined them in groups until they got up to 59. And then they had a convention, which was, once you got to 59, you went back to the beginning and used the same symbol you would use for a 1, but now it meant 60. And you may think that's a bit strange, but it's what we do with 1. Depending where it's placed, it means 1, it means 10, it means 100, or 1 tenth, or whatever. And as well as repeatedly multiplying by 60, they also repeatedly divided by 60. So they could talk about a number that was, say, 3 and 5 sixtieths plus 2 divided by 60 times 60, 2 36 hundredths, and so on. So they could get very, very precise statements of what size numbers were. The relics of this base 60 are still around in our culture. We have 60 minutes in an hour, 60 seconds in a minute. 360 degrees in a circle, which is 6 times 60. All of this stuff goes right back to the Babylonians, and it's, it's still with us. We're still using it, even though we don't use their number system. With a very precise number system, you can do arithmetic. And so these Babylonian tablets show some really quite sophisticated sums that they do. 
and they're very happy with addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. But also, they start to get into solving equations. And they will have problems like, I found a stone but did not weigh it. After I had added three gin to the weight, <laughs> I weighed it and it was now seven gin. How much did my stone weigh? We would now teach this as x plus 3 equals 7, what's x? And you subtract, you get 4. And in a sort of rhetorical way, they say, you know, take the 7, subtract the 3, what is left? It is 4, this is my answer. And they do this with more complicated equations. They have a whole pile of problems about a square plus 4 times its side is equal to possibly some very complicated Babylonian number. And we would call these quadratic equations. And they give a procedure for solving these quadratic equations, which, when you disentangle it, is a very clear statement with a numerical example of the method that we teach in schools now for solving quadratics. The, the standard formula for solving quadratic equations is a procedure which, when you carry it out, is exactly what the Babylonians were doing. And it doesn't end there. They knew Pythagoras' theorem for right-angled triangles. They didn't have a proof, or at least if they had a proof, it's not on any of the tablets that survive. And we get the impression from the tablets that we do have that proof wasn't really something the Babylonians were too worried about. They knew why things worked, but you didn't have to write down some formal statement of why they worked. But they knew, and they state quite explicitly, if you've got a right-angled triangle and you take one of its sides and multiply it by itself to get the square, and you do the same with the other shorter side and add those two squares together, it's the same as the square of the longest side. Now that is Pythagoras's theorem, very, very plain. They know how to calculate complicated things like the square root of two, and they can do it to pretty high accuracy, about five or six of our decimal places. Why were they doing this? What did the Babylonians need their arithmetic for? There are two reasons, and this is a, one of the threads that runs through the whole of mathematics is there are, there are basically two different reasons for doing mathematics. One is up in the heavens, watching the movement of the stars and the planets and the moon and the sun and the heavenly bodies and in some sense in some cultures of, of the gods, predicting where a particular planet will be at a particular time, forecasting eclipses, understanding the seasons. That's the sort of high-level reason for doing this. And then there's the basic down-to-earth practical reason of accountancy, tax collecting. The king wants to make sure that his officials are collecting the right taxes, and he also wants to make sure that he's getting all of the taxes they've collected. Uh, people want to keep household accounts. They want to keep track of how many animals they own, make sure nobody's stealing them. Property, who owns how much land, what's it worth, where is it, all of this kind of thing. Really, the Babylonians, in many respects, are remarkably similar to our own culture. We, we, can, we can see ourselves as Babylonians fairly easily. Uh, of course, other aspects of Babylonian culture are very alien to what we now do. But no, they're real people, they're like us, and they are very, very good mathematicians. The reason the Babylonians come into the story of symmetry is one feature of what they did, and it's the solution of quadratic equations. This is the first sophisticated method for solving algebraic equations. They expressed it in words and with numerical examples. They didn't have a symbol for the unknown. It wasn't algebra in the sense that 
of a symbolic system, but it was the same processes used in algebra. And that set mathematicians off on a 4,000-year quest to solve more and more complicated equations. And it's out of that quest and out of the fact that ultimately it failed and had to fail that our understanding of symmetry emerged. Babylonian work stimulated a whole pile of other mathematics in related cultures. It, it's clear that the Egyptians, for example, had some understanding of what the Babylonians were doing, although Egyptian mathematics is actually rather different and probably not as good as the Babylonians. Um, the Greeks, the Greek geometers picked up some of the Babylonian ideas, but the Greeks went very heavily towards geometry rather than arithmetic, at least in terms of what survived from the intellectual work of the time. There's some hints that the practical people uh, saw it rather differently, but the, the intellectuals, it was geometry, and thanks to Euclid, it was proof. It was the logic. It was, how do you know that what you're saying is true? And how can you convince me that what you're saying is true? In Euclid, there is the beginnings of new techniques for solving equations, the cubic equation, the next thing after the quadratic, not just the unknown multiplied by itself, the square, but the unknown times the unknown times the unknown, the cube. The Greeks knew that some problems we would interpret as cubic equations, like how do you construct a cube whose volume is twice as big as a given cube? This mathematically is finding the cube root of 2, it's solving x cubed equals 2. Um, they could do. They could. They knew how to construct such a solution geometrically. They couldn't do it with ruler and compass, the standard instruments we use at school. It turns out it's impossible with ruler and compass. They didn't know that, but I think they rather suspected it. But they discovered if they use conic sections, if they use curves like ellipses and parabolas, which come from slicing a cone, then they could solve certain kinds of cubic equation. The equations get more complicated, but the methods become geometric. The whole story now moves off into the Far East and the Middle East, into Arabia, India, China. Europe is descending into the Middle Ages, and there are many things going on in Europe, but um, advanced mathematics was not really one of them. <laughs> um, and Omar Khayyam, the famous poet, the, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam is something you know, most of us have heard of, and maybe even can recite pieces of. Omar Khayyam wasn't just a poet, he was an astronomer and a mathematician. And he found geometric methods using conic sections to solve all possible kinds of cubic equation. So from the geometric point of view, he knocked the whole problem on the head. If you'd like to find out more about the history of symmetry, Professor Stewart's book, Beauty is Truth, is now available. In our next episode, we find out how the dramatic world of competitive mathematics in Renaissance Italy drove forward our understanding of equations and laid the foundations of our modern understanding of symmetry.